Praise the Lord. God is good. Amen? Amen. And we are going to continue on with our series that we've been doing. Brother Stan should have taught you last week about our, our third lesson in the series, which was um, the voice in the storm. Did that happen, Brother Stan? Wait, Brother Stan's picking people up, isn't he? Did that happen? Everyone remember? Everyone, who was here last week for adult life class? Nobody. One person. Two people. Three people. Only three people. Four people. Okay, that's a bit better. Who else was here for adult life class last week? A few people. Okay. That's good. So this morning we're going to continue on with our next lesson. Who can remember the title of the series that we're doing? What was that? Yeah, that was one of the lessons we did. Living the faith. That's it. That's the overarching series. And what we're, what we're talking about in this series this morning is that, you know, God has a plan for our life. Do you believe that this morning? That's about three of us. God has a plan for your life. Do you believe that this morning? Well, you should do because you're at church, right? If you don't believe God has a plan for your life, why are you here? There's the door. <laughs> Amen. No, we're here because we believe that God has a plan for our life. And, and sometimes God's plan can seem to take a circuitous route or um, a scenic route. I don't know if they still have it, but you know how they have two routes to Cooktown, like the Coast Road and then the Inland Road, and, and they called the Coast Road the scenic route. This was back when I was in high school out at Gordonvale. And back then, I don't think it was 100% sealed all the way, and the road was very rough. And, and I used to have a T-shirt that said, I made it to Cooktown via the scenic route and had a picture of a four-wheel drive that was absolutely falling apart, like the wheels were falling off and the smoke coming out the engine. It was quite funny. But sometimes it can feel like God's plan for our life is similar. You know, we come in on a Sunday and we think, whew, I'm a bit like that four-wheel drive with my wheels falling off and smoke coming out from the radiator and I'm just, I'm falling to bits, but I made it. And we often wonder, well, if God has a plan for my life, how come I've got to go through these things? And, and that's life. Because we live our life in this world. This world is broken. Amen. It's a sinful world and we live in it. We are in this world, but not of it, the Bible tells us. Amen. And so how do we live our faith and how do we live God's plan for our life in the midst of a world like the one that we live in? Amen. And that's kind of like the, the overarching theme of what we're talking about for this month. Amen. So this morning we're going to continue on. And if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Philemon. It's in the New Testament. Praise the Lord. Okay, we're back again. So the book of Philemon, and we're going to read, it's only one chapter, and we're going to read from verse 10. 
I beseech thee, this is Paul writing to um, Philemon, he says, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus. You know, I had to Google how to pronounce that. Onesimus. <laughs> Whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in times past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels. Whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Now, not as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord? If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he has wronged thee, or owes thee aught, put that on my account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest me, even thine own self besides. Praise the Lord. Onesimus. We're going to talk about him today. And what we're going to talk about in line with living our faith or living the faith is a call to love and forgive. Everyone say forgive. I think this is probably one of the most difficult concepts for Christians to really get their mind around. It's something we really struggle with is this idea of God wants me to forgive that person. God wants me to let go of the grudges that I'm holding, you know. It's interesting because people will hurt us and people will offend us. And this happens in the church as well as in the workplace, as well as at school, as well as in family gatherings. You see, the reason why people hurt one another and offend one another is because, like I said, we live in a broken world. Amen? And... A church is not perfect. Hands up if you think the church is perfect. Right. Exactly. The church is not perfect. The church is full of people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all different areas in their walk with God, and they're all human, and they all make mistakes. Amen. And so you're going to get offended. You're going to get hurt. It's just going to happen. There's a story about two little boys. that were fighting over a toy fire truck. Suddenly, the older boy sat back up and punched his younger brother in the stomach. The mother came running into the room and said, Michael, what has happened? She she said that to the older child, and the older child, being a good boy, told him the truth, told mom the truth. Said, well, he wouldn't share with me, so I punched him in the stomach. Oh, no, Michael, you don't punch your little brother, said the mother. You have to teach him how to share. You can't force him to share. She took Michael aside and said, Michael, you need to tell Philip, that was the name of the little boy, that you are sorry that you punched him. Michael shook his head back and no, saying, nope, I'm not going to say sorry. So the mother tried a second time. She said, now, Michael, Jesus would be so pleased if you would tell Philip that you were sorry that you punched him. Don't you want to make Jesus happy? As normal, Michael once again told his mum the truth. Mum, I'm not sorry I punched Philip. Should I lie and say I'm sorry when I'm not? Jesus wouldn't be proud of a lie, would he? 
His mother sat back and said, no, Michael, it would not be good to lie. (laughs) But isn't it interesting how even two brothers can get into a fight? Amen. And so we're going to get offended. We're going to get hurt. And when someone does this to us, you know, there's, there's differences between offenses and hurts that, that people do involuntarily. You know, sometimes we hurt one another by mistake, you know. We don't mean to do it. We don't get angry about it because we know it was an accident. But when someone deliberately hurts us or goes out of their way to offend us, our first reaction is usually to try and get vengeance, right? To give them a little bit of their own medicine, to get them back, amen, to give them a piece of our mind. It doesn't really make us feel better. Who can testify to that? I know there's been times when I've given someone a piece of my mind and I've worked out, you know what, that really didn't work out the way that I thought it would because these things often tend to escalate the situation and they cause things to blow up even more. This is why um, the writer of Proverbs said, a soft answer turns away wrath, right? But that is contrary to our nature, isn't it? Right? If I was to go up to Brother Willie over here, just walk up to him, and as I'm walking past, just go, bang! That wouldn't make him feel good, would he? What would his automatic instinction be? Pastor, why'd you do that for? Why'd you hit me for? And I would say, because you were late. No, that's not his fault. <laughs> Love you, Brother Willie. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so when these things happen, it's not easy to leave them in the hands of God. Because the Bible tells us that vengeance is mine. This is God to us. He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. But it's not easy for us as humans to go, okay, I'm not going to retaliate, right? Now, that doesn't mean you should be a rug, just walked all over, right? We'll talk more about that maybe later on. But it's not easy for us to try and to, to not take matters into our own hands, amen? It's not easy for us to understand that, hang on, I'm God's child. He will take care of this in his time, in his way. Amen. And so it's not easy. And so as we pray about what happened, because this is what happens. How often have you gone and prayed when someone's hurt you and offended you? Particularly in the church. I know numerous times. You know, I've gone home. I've got on my knees in my office and just taken it to the Lord when I've been hurt, when I've been offended. I've just wept before God. The problem is, is that God does something crazy when we do that. God does not sit there and go, yeah, I know, that's really bad, isn't it? Oh, well, don't you worry. Don't you worry, Brother Kenneth. I'm going to get them. They're going to regret the day they ever upset. No, God doesn't talk to us like that. God turns around and says, well, I know that they hurt you. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to forgive them. Oh, no, God. No, I can't do that. I don't want to forgive them, God. Hello? Am I the only one that does that sometimes? Not looking at anybody. (laughs) Praise the Lord. It seems like a rather painful response from God, doesn't it? But really, forgiveness, and I'm, I'm sure this is not anything new, but forgiveness benefits you more than it benefits the person you forgive. Amen. It really does set you free because even though the person who has offended you may not accept the fact that you've forgiven them, in fact, they may continue to offend you. They may continue to hurt you. They may just not like you very much. 
When we forgive, it releases us from that. Amen. And really, I mean, you think about it. Jesus is the one who gave us the example for this. Amen. I mean, he is on the cross. He's been crucified by the people who he came for. Right? He's got people throwing accusations in his face like, well, if you were the son of God, come on down from the cross and we will believe you. Right? He's had all these horrible injustices committed to him. Right? And yet he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They did not ask for his forgiveness. Amen. They certainly didn't deserve his forgiveness. They hadn't earned his forgiveness. And even though he had forgiven them, they continued to mock him. They continued to speak against him. Amen. And yet he still forgave. And this is the thing. that This is where the real struggle is with learning to forgive is that we know that's what Jesus did. We read it in the Scripture. We understand that. But, but then when it happens to us and we are in that place of proverbially being on the cross where people are attacking us and doing things against us and offending us, and we have to turn around and forgive them. But that's what Jesus did. That's not easy, though, is it? That's not easy. But we are called as Christians to follow Him. Amen? And I mean, ultimately, the other example you can use here is that none of us earned forgiveness from God. Put your hands up here if you earned your salvation. You can't. We can't earn the way of salvation to be open to us. We can obey the gospel, but we have no right to go to God and say, well, God, I demand that you open up a way of salvation for me. No, we don't have that right. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Amen. And so we don't deserve forgiveness. And yet God forgave us. And there's so much you can say about this. The parable of the unjust um, steward, I think it is, is what it's called, where this, this servant owed the king a debt that he would never be able to pay. And yet the king just said, okay, I forgive you. It's done. Don't worry about it. Can you imagine if you went to the bank and you had like a $550,000 mortgage and, and a car payment and a couple of credit cards and you went to the bank manager and said, look, I really just can't afford to make my payments. Can you try and just maybe reduce my payments or give me a grace period to, to try and pay it back? And they said, you know what? Don't worry about it. We'll just forget about it. You can own the house. Here's the title deed. Here's the title deed to the car. Where's your credit cards? Yeah, just do, 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 do. done, all paid off. Have a nice day. Wouldn't you just feel like a million bucks? You'd feel like, oh, yeah, I mean, I'd come out dancing. I'd go out and try and buy another house and not pay it off. <laughs> right? And yet the servant turns around and finds someone that owes him the equivalent of a Big Mac meal and says, you need to pay me back. And he says, oh, I just, I just look, I don't have the $17.95 it's going to cost me for this large Big Mac and a fries and a Coke right now. But I will pay you back. No, that's not good enough. And he throws him in jail. That just, that's, it doesn't click in our mind. It's like, that's ludicrous. Surely he'd even be in a good enough mood that he'd just go, don't worry about it, it's all good. Right? Because he'd been forgiven so much. We have been forgiven so much. Haven't we? We've been forgiven so much. And so 
this principle of loving and forgiving is something we need to learn to pass on. It cannot stop with what God did for us, but we are to pass that on to others. Praise the Lord. Onazimas is who we're talking about in this lesson. And the letter that Paul wrote to Philemon concerned a runaway slave. See, Onazimas was a slave. And slaves were considered property that belonged to their masters. Now, Philemon owned Onesimus, and his fate was in Philemon's hands. Now, when slaves ran away, it was considered a capital offense, and they were able to be put to death. The masters had the right to put them to death for running away. So Paul knew the legal authority of those who owned slaves, and this was under the Roman law forget. So Paul didn't justify slavery, nor did he speak against it, because that was the culture of the day, amen. So he didn't justify it. He certainly didn't justify it. But what he did was he wanted to bring reconciliation and forgiveness between the two men. See, the fact that Onesimus ran away was a great offense to Philemon. It really was. He was wrong to do it. And to bring the two men back together in peace, Paul offered to pay for any of the losses that Onesimus had caused Philemon. We don't know what went through Philemon's mind at the reading of this letter. Amen. But we do know that Paul sent it by the hand of Onesimus. Right? So the slave who ran away ended up in Rome. Paul sent him back to those master with a letter from Paul in his hand. See, Paul's request required a large gift of forgiveness on Philemon's past. And see, here's an interesting thing. Reconciliation is not always possible, even when forgiveness is requested and granted. Think about that for a second. Reconciliation and forgiveness are not always the same. Because reconciliation requires the participation of two people. Right? If I get into an argument with Brother Kenneth, you know, he punches me, I trip him over. No, we would never do that. Right? I can forgive him. And he can forgive me. But that doesn't mean we're reconciled, does it? I might never talk to him again because he punched me. (laughs) Just checking. (laughs) Praise the Lord. There are cases where a damaged friendship may never be restored. Amen. And so it's wonderful if relationship can be restored, but this must not be pressed in most cases. Some things may never be the same again. It takes two to reconcile, and there must be a total willingness on both parts. Now, why am I telling you this? Because we often get confused between reconciliation and forgiveness. Right? Someone does a great offense to us, and we are deeply hurt. And we turn around and we say, no, I cannot forgive them because they're not my friend anymore. But here's the thing. They don't have to be your friend. For you to forgive them. You've got to understand this. Because when someone offends you, it may change the relationship forever. Now, it'd be great if we could be reconciled. Amen. And many cases, particularly if it's two Christian brothers or sisters, or you know, they should be able to get reconciliation there because they both should recognize the importance of dwelling together in unity. Bible tells us that. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Amen. But you don't have to have reconciliation to offer forgiveness. 
Some people have done things to me in my life that have deeply hurt me. Some, they're located somewhere between the North and the South Pole. I can see people saying, oh, okay, I wonder, who, I wonder if I know them. You probably won't know them. Amen. And I can forgive them, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to sit down and have a chicken dinner with them. Amen. Because the friendship has been damaged. Amen. Do you understand the difference there? Reconciliation and forgiveness. See, no one is immune to offenses. This is why this is important. Because no one is immune to be offended. Here's the thing. Being involved with people increases the odds of getting hurt. Do you want to know what the perfect church would look like? Very empty. Think about it. We wouldn't have to vacuum anymore. All the church's chairs would be lined up perfectly. Wouldn't have to worry about turning the lights on so the power bill would be really, really cheap. Right? But when you are associated with people, you're going to get offended. It's going to happen. You know, I've been at my current workplace now for over three years now, I think. You know, and most of the people who are there are the same people who were there when I started. And there are days when we offend one another. Amen. Now, in every case so far, there's been reconciliation because we've never, ever, you know, been so brutal that we've never wanted to talk to each other again. I think most of us realize, hey, I got to work in this company and there's only 12 of us, so I better not make too many enemies. Amen. But when you work with people, there is going to be offense. Amen. Jesus warned his followers that there would be those who would deliberately offend them. In Luke chapter 17 and verse 1, Jesus said to his disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. Amen. As Jesus was preparing his disciples to function without him in the flesh, he reminded them that people would not treat them kindly because of him. They were going to be thrown out of the synagogue and persecuted. Some of them would even be put to death. We are blessed to live in the country that we live in. We're not persecuted. Amen. But I know a couple who had to flee their country. And their, their, their government was wanting to lock them up, was wanting to get rid of them. They lost their jobs. They lost their house. They basically lost everything. They stuffed some clothes in a suitcase and crossed the border because the government was after them. Persecuted. Why? Because they were Christians. That's it. No other reason. They were worried that they were influencing the youth in that nation. So they chased them out of the country. Amen. We're not persecuted. But then they have to turn around and forgive. Well, that's difficult, isn't it? That's not easy to do. And so we know that these things will happen. John 16, verse 33, Jesus promised that he would give them peace to overcome those who offended them. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Or in other words, everyone living in this world will be offended. And we don't have the ability to tap out. You know what I mean by tap out? Like a wrestling match, you know, you see him like, I'm, I'm tapping out. And someone else comes in and takes over. No, you still got to live your life. Right? And so learning to forgive is important. See, here's the thing. I get it. Letting go of offense is not easy. It's not easy, is it? For those really traumatic scenes where something has gone catastrophically wrong in a relationship, our minds replay the moment over 
and over and over and over again, don't they? Forgiving may not delete the scene, but it may stop the endless loop that's in our mind. And it helps move along. I think sometimes time is really the only healer of the capacity of our minds to recall an ugly moment. But there's hope. Because once we let go of an offense and forgive the other person, the next step is to let God have it. And if you can learn to forgive each other when you offend one another, the next step is learning, okay, I'm going to give that to God. Our offense is like a big bag of burdens. And we struggle under that load as we ascend the hill of Calvary. But when we reach the cross and we see Jesus hanging there to take every burden, to take every sin upon himself, our job is to drop that burden that we've been carrying and walk away. That's why he died for us. That's why he came. And yet so often we come to Calvary. And rather than dropping our load, we we pick it back up again after a bit of a breather and we continue walking on in our Christian life. When really what we should have been doing is leaving it back at the foot of the cross. Because the cross, as I've kind of already alluded to, is the ultimate example of forgiveness. See, not only has God forgiven us, but He doesn't hold hold it against us. You ever had those arguments with someone? Usually it's in a marriage relationship, sometimes in brothers and sisters. You know, you'll get into a fight with your dearly beloved, usually on Sunday morning before you go to church, I find. It's typically the most normal fight time. (laughs) We didn't fight today, folks. It's okay. (laughs) Right? But you know, you'll say something like, I can't believe you did this. And they say, yeah, well, I remember two years ago, you did blah, 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 blah. And then someone else turns around and says, well, yeah, but do you remember back in 2001, you did no, 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 no. Aren't you glad God doesn't bring up your past? I wouldn't want God to bring up my past. Can you imagine coming into church and lifting your hands in God's presence and Him say, whoa, 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 hang on. I remember back three years ago, you know, you were living for me, but then you decided to leave. So I am not going to bless you with my presence right now. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that? And see, here's the thing. We do it to ourselves. Because We come to the cross of Calvary and there's Jesus saying, I've died to take your burdens. I've died to take your sins. You're forgiven. You're free. You can walk in liberty. But instead of leaving the offenses that people have caused us, we pick them back up and we walk on. But here's the thing. This is why the cross is so important. Because when we are offended, we need to forgive and then we need to get back to the foot of the cross. To say, Jesus, I don't want to carry this burden anymore. I don't want to hold on to this. It's not my grudge to carry. It's not my burden to bear. I want to give it to you. Now that means letting God take care of things. And that's not easy. Because it means laying aside our natural inclination to say, God, smite them. 
You know, we can be like the disciples sometimes who were walking with Jesus towards Jerusalem and they come to a village of Samaritans and the Samaritans say, nah, you're Jewish, you're not welcome here. And you, Peter, I think it was Peter or maybe it was John, they come up to Jesus and go, hey, Jesus, are you going to call down fire from heaven? That'd be kind of cool. I'll get the marshmallows, you know. They're like, we're waiting for fire to fall on our enemies. But God often doesn't do that because God extends mercy and grace to them as well. Mm. So learning to forgive and then learning to give it to God. See, Onesimus found Jesus. And we don't know exactly what happened from the time that he left Philemon and came into contact with Paul. But we do know that through Paul's ministry, Onesimus turned his life over to God. He started living for Jesus, and he was a great blessing to Paul. Paul referred to Anasimus as the one who was begotten, or in other words, Paul was probably the one who prayed him through, got him to repent. He baptized him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit underneath Paul's ministry. And yet somehow, at some point in the conversations that Anasimus and Paul had been having, Anasimus must have at some stage gone, you know what, Paul? I'm actually a runaway slave. Maybe one night Paul noticed a, a brand on his arm or something, I don't know. And Paul said, hey, Onesimus, where's that from? He said, well, you know, actually, I'm, I'm, I ran away from my master. I'm a slave. I'm on the run. And so Paul, realizing that Philemon was also one of his converts. Realized that he could not let both Philemon and Onesimus carry around this guilt forever. And so he worked to bring reconciliation between them. Amen? How are we doing for time? Okay. He wrote a letter to Philemon to ask him to forgive Onesimus and welcome him as a brother in the Lord rather than a runaway slave. Paul mentioned that he would have loved to keep Onesimus with him. I mean, he was in prison. He was in Rome. But he knew that Onesimus had to put his trust in God, face his past, and clear the way for God to use him without hindrances. Paul reminded or implored, sorry, Philemon to welcome Onesimus as he would welcome Paul himself. And he reminded Philemon that if it hadn't been for Paul, Philemon wouldn't be a believer either. And then Paul affirmed Philemon by saying he was confident that Philemon would do what Paul had asked and even more. And so we see that God was working his will in the life of Philemon. See, maybe Philemon had to use, learn a lesson. And see, this is the thing. Do you know offenses can be part of God's plan for your life? We don't necessarily like that, do we? We want our life with God to be rainbows, sunshine, lollipops, and unicorns, right? Everything happy, joyful. But then someone offends us. And yet out of that offense, Philemon learned how to forgive. Now, we don't know exactly what happened. We're assuming that he forgived Onesimus. 
Paul must have been pretty confident that he would because he sent him back. He obviously knew Philemon pretty well. And Onesimus learned how to face his past and to seek forgiveness for the wrong that he had caused. And through it all, Onesimus met the Lord. Amen? Maybe he wouldn't have met the Lord if he hadn't offended Philemon and left his house. Amen? And so here's the thing. When Onesimus left Philemon, he was not a believer. But through the ministry and the life of Paul, Onesimus met Jesus. And Paul had been an integral part of God's plan for Onesimus' life to rescue him from the enemy. In other words, what we're saying here is that we should let Jesus love others through us. So we need to learn to forgive. We need to learn to give our burdens to Jesus rather than carry them ourselves. And in doing that, others will see Jesus' love through us. Have you ever heard that old song, You're the only Jesus some will ever see? And when someone hurts you and other people see it and they know your story and they know that it was unjust and they know that it wasn't right and yet all they see you do is offer forgiveness to that person and they see you maybe down at the altar praying and giving it to the Lord at the foot of the cross again, saying, Jesus, I don't want to carry this burden. This is yours. Others look at that example and they see something different. Because that's not how the world operates, is it? The world operates with you should watch out for yourself. You should look after number one. If anyone gets in your way, cut them down because they shouldn't be there. You should have a clear path to whatever you define success as. The world does not see it the way, but that's how the Bible tells us to live our lives. Amen. And so others will see Jesus through us. Others can be introduced to Jesus through our example. This is why everything we do should be a reflection of what we believe. And this is why this is so important. Because here's the thing. While the world may not forgive, and the world carries grudges, and the world does not show love. What the world actually wants is love. And so when we show the love of Jesus, when we forgive one another, when we don't hold grudges, the world sees that and they want it. They see that and they think, man, I've had someone holding a grudge against me for a very long time. I don't know what it's like to not be under attack. Or maybe they've been carrying a grudge for a long time. Holding on to it for years and years and years and years. And not letting it go. Praise the Lord. Why don't we all stand this morning? There's a saying, I don't know if you've heard it, but it's called, Love God, Love Others. And it's a bit catchy, but if we take it seriously, it's actually quite serious. Because we are commanded to love others as much as we love God. And if we truly love God, we will love others. And if we truly love others, we will forgive them. Amen. As we work through this process of forgiveness, consider this. You cannot love someone who you won't forgive. It's not love, is it? The fact remains that we're going to be injured. 
We're going to be offended. It's going to happen. But it's how we handle that. Learning to forgive. Learning to take it to Jesus. Learning to show the love of Jesus in our lives so others can see that beacon of hope that we have. You see, the best antidote for bitterness is forgiveness. And that's what unforgiveness turns into when you hold it in your heart. You leave it in your heart, eventually it turns to bitterness. And bitterness will block your access from God quicker than anything else I know. People who are bitter, they come in and they feel nothing in God's house. Usually it's because they're hanging on to some offense that someone did to them many years ago. And they refuse to forgive. And they refuse to let go. The best antidote for that is to forgive. Praise the Lord. I feel the Lord's presence here. Why don't we just close our eyes. Let's raise our hands right now. Let's just talk to the Lord for a few minutes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.